This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Playoffs. Hello and welcome to NL Playoffs. Uh, this is round 5. My name is Gautam. I have with me my co-host Aniket. Aniket say namaste. Uh, hello world. We have a very interesting uh, episode lined up for you. Uh, we have a, a good amount of sports topics to cover, uh, but before we do any of that, we do have two special guests with us. Uh, we have uh, Anand Vardhan uh, for folks who are uh, uh, common listeners to the hafta the charcha on news laundry people might have uh, might know anand already uh, hello anand how are you hi i'm fine we were just talking to anand just before we went live one thing that definitely came across to me as well as aniket was that you have a keen uh, sports eye so we thought it would be a great opportunity to have you on uh, now that we have a few episodes under our belt so we thought we would be somewhat be able to uh, match up with your uh, intellectual heft so to speak no 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 nothing nothing like that don't embarrass me any further <laughs> <laughs> we also have another special guest with us we uh, we have abhijit abhijit hello hello hi good morning how are you very good morning to you abhijit uh, doing very well uh, abhijit is is uh, just like me and aniket uh, a fellow news laundry subscriber uh abhi ji just tell us briefly how you become a subscriber to news laundry just out of curiosity uh just uh, i was online and i just like you guys you know i used to watch these youtube videos where news laundry was doing an unbelievably brilliant job and then of course i knew uh, that i have to help these guys and then i became a subscriber yeah abhi ji actually got in touch with us wrote us an email i think uh, after our uh, maybe second episode or so uh, and wanted uh, to participate or you know contribute in uh, any of uh, his ways he's a tennis aficionado but more than that abhi ji you work in the field of uh, sports management that is something that really uh, stood out to both me and aniket because we've never come across a person who works professionally in the world of sports management so please do enlighten us what you do Sure. Uh, so basically, I studied law uh, for five years. Um, I did a double degree course of BBA LLB, and then uh, for two years, I was working in Bangalore for a sports rights management company. I was working as a consultant, legal counsel. So basically, we used to take care of copyright and trademark for sporting governing bodies. And then I realized that I also want to learn, you know, the management business side of things. And that's why I went to Europe uh, to study sports management. So I was in Europe for two years. I recently came back. Uh, and now i'm offering uh, service related to sports management aniket i know you have uh, more than one follow up question to this first that's so cool to listen to and you know they always say that you're an average of the five people you hang out with but today the average is very high because i'm hanging out with really cool people here so i'm super excited to have both anand and abhijit on the podcast but you know we will keep this for another time abhijit where we will delve deep, deeper into what exactly you do how you got there because that fascinates me and i'm very curious to know but with that being said uh, gautam do you want to lead the way and get us through the headlines and guide us along yeah so our intention this for this episode is to like we've been doing for other episodes is to cover one or two topics uh, a little bit more in detail and then go through the other other uh, sports headlines that uh that you know that were uh, noteworthy uh 
so let's uh, so that we thought this week we would uh, mostly spend some time on the recently concluded india versus england series or should we say partially concluded india versus england series uh, and also uh, also just that recently the us open tennis tournament just finished so you like to discuss more of that as well first and foremost uh, aniket and mine's uh, shared favorite sport uh, english premier league football is back the fans are back and so is cristiano ronaldo to manchester united uh, we had uh, a whole uh, section last time we recorded this covering ronaldo going to city because it was more or less decided that manchester city was going to get cristiano ronaldo but then in the last minute in matter of couple of hours things changed and ronaldo moved to manchester united and uh, he played his uh, first game back as united player uh, against newcastle and scored a brace in a convincing win We've been waiting 12 years for this so drink it in ronnie's back where he belongs my uh, honest opinion as a united fan uh, full disclosure is ronaldo will be good he will not be the ronaldo of the of the of the first iteration when he was with manchester united he'll be a good serviceable player um, is he's going to be uh, good to very good but not the legendary ronaldo he's known to be so let's actually bring the uh, guests in uh, abhijit i don't know if you got a chance to watch ronaldo play at all did you were you able to catch anything Yes, I did watch uh, the game on Saturday and uh, being a United fan, I mean this was like a dream come true. Uh he scored a brace, 4-1 overall score. I mean, yeah, brilliant atmosphere and uh yeah, like you said, I also believe that Ronaldo won't be the same as you know he was at Madrid or uh, in 2008. Uh but again, uh, he'll score a lot of goals and uh, that will put Manchester United in a position to win big trophies again. Yeah, we can we can uh, on, only hope. Uh, Anand, what about you? Were you able to watch Ronaldo at all? Yes, I did, but in bits. Uh, so elaborate on why you think that uh, he would be not the same as um, his earlier stint with United. Right. So when he was well, obviously the most obvious thing is is he was much younger when he was uh, with United. The young Ronaldo was, uh, though immature, was extremely skillful. uh he was really fast he don't i don't think he has the same uh, pace right now uh he can't play as much on the wings anymore right wing or left wing he's now more or less in the box centrally located as a striker uh he's really still really good in the air don't get me wrong he's still a good finisher but uh with the lack of pace with which his game was built on and uh, uh you know and age kind of wears out on you so i don't think he's going to be as effective as like the real madrid version or the earlier manchester united version yeah go ahead aniket i know you have a comment <laughs> yeah so i wanted to disagree with the united fans though i'm not a united fan but i would disagree with both of your analysis and uh, the major reason being yes he's not young he's not going to score 42 goals a season like he did before but given the position united are in they need a leader he's a leader he's been there he's done that uh with various other teams various leagues and you know he's definitely going to score some crucial goals and he's not a winger anymore but he's definitely going to give goals that united desperately need so i think it's a fantastic signing and you know it's a it's a romantic dream come true when he comes back home in my head i agree with you but he i'm in just as far as just his playing goes i don't think he was the same all around player as he once was that that was what i thought uh, anand what did you make of him 
no, uh, I agree with bits of both of your arguments. And uh, also, uh, carrying a spent force, uh, I think you are not to the point that he's a spent force. So you still see certain uh, parts of his game being in the top league. But uh, I think it's also a kind of vanity grab. Means, uh, when you have a vanity kind of product in your team and the romantic part that uh, someone alluded to, perhaps Niket alluded, that, that is a kind of vanity grab that uh, franchisee teams have and uh, its value at this point seems to be more uh, attached to that. There's actually absolutely no doubt about it because you can actually see it now. They've uh, sold the sold Ronaldo jerseys in record record time. They set a new jersey record, I think. Uh, the British media is just on complete overdrive. Uh, I follow the Manchester United Twitter handle as well as the Instagram. They are just every post, literally every post has a Ronaldo's picture on it. Yeah, uh, which is making a milking the cow expression. He is, they are absolutely milking it. Uh, it's all about uh, the retweets. It's all about the jersey. So to an extent, I agree with you, Anand. There's no doubt that it was. It is definitely a vanity buy. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, he's been on a good scoring spree so far. He scored against Young Boys today against in the Champions League. So we'll see what happens. Um, just moving ahead, uh, the the I think uh, I know Aniket will probably have a view on this. I think Chelsea start out as a favorite to win the league this season. Aniket, there's they just have a complete team. They have what it takes to win. I think and Thomas Tuchel is really really good. Yeah, what you said is I think Chelsea and United in my head at least, are two contenders up for the league this year. And I don't think I would have put United in that place if it was not for Ronaldo. Because I wanted to add something to our previous thing is that Ronaldo is also going to step up the level for the United players who are there, who are relatively younger compared to him. So, you know, they're going to see this legend of a person or one of the greats of all time come into the team. So it's definitely going to have a good snowballing effect in my head at least. With that being said... Chelsea, I never made too much of Thomas Tuchel before the previous season, especially when he was in PSG. But now, uh, when I listen to him and I listen to him talk and the interviews he gives, his tactics, he's very clear and has a lot of clarity and clearly has the respect of the dressing room. So, I, yeah, these two teams would definitely, you know, add a tough fight to the league. Abhijit, what do you think? Do you think uh, Man City, Liverpool also have a chance? Yes, I actually do believe uh, this season is going to be, you know, uh, like a tight race. Uh, I hope United wins because they do have the team. And, uh, you know, in Ronaldo, they have a great leader as well. Uh, it's funny that Harry Maguire, uh, you know, Ronaldo has to call Harry Maguire a captain now. But overall, I think the team is brilliant. And uh, yeah, it will be a very tight race. Yeah, let's hope for a t- tight race. I know it's things will uh, heat up. We are just, I think, in week three or week four. Uh, so we'll see what happens at Chelsea one, Liverpool one, Man City one. So uh, we should be uh, in for a, hopefully a good season this time. Uh, Aniket, did you watch any of the La Liga at all this time uh, last week? No, I did not. I was, as you know, I was in my travel and uh, watching only highlights. So yeah, I didn't catch much of. I just saw the I saw Madrid beat Celta Vigo, but nothing beyond that. Yeah, uh, Anand, do you? Have, by the way, I never asked any. Uh, I know Abhijit kind of outed himself as to what his favorite team was. Anand, do you have a favorite uh, uh, football club at all? 
No, actually, I don't have. Okay, all right. Uh, actually, sometimes as a neutral, I think it's more fun to watch. Uh, rather than watching the agonizing uh, plight of a fan but anyway that's for another uh, that's for another day with that i think uh, aniket i think we should move on to a little bit of formula 1 because uh, i know uh, things went down at the monza the italian grand prix the fastest uh, track on the circuit yeah it was a very exciting weekend for motorsport racing especially formula 1 so a lot of things have happened so you know first kimi raikkonen has retired so his retirement the iceman has called it quits finally after i think uh, 19 seasons in formula 1 if i'm not wrong and he goes on as one of the big titans of the field of the sport because he's had maximum races and uh, you know all possible caps that you can have with the length of career that he has that retirement has actually led to so many seats and shuffling happening in the driver paddock so a lot of exciting things have happened so just to add to that valtteri bottas is now going to be driving for alfa romeo next year replacing kimi raikkonen which tells us that george russell who's been confirmed by mercedes benz is now going to be lewis hamilton's partner so he's going to partner the seven time uh, world champion Lewis Hamilton who's currently hunting for his eighth title this year that will be uh, i know you know I, just speaking of kimi raikkonen i think for some reason for me uh, mika hakkinen and kimi raikkonen both of them are kind of synonymous to each other i don't know if uh, any of uh, abhijit or anand have a view on this but if it, does anybody have any comment on kimi raikkonen at all yeah sure uh, so basically uh, the reason i used to watch formula 1 was because of shumaker and kimi you know uh, in back in 2012 i remember i had gone for the indian gp and i saw shumaker race and then kimi was also there and then vettel ended up winning uh, for me that uh, era was quite interesting um, but again it got a little boring when vettel started you know winning too much he i think won four in a row if i'm not wrong and then i think uh, the same is happening with hamilton Uh, but again now i think the, this season and next season will be very interesting um, with lot of you know uh, changes so let's see but yeah kimi uh, an all time legend uh, the true iceman um, and uh, i hope we still get to see him you know around the tracks man me and aniket have been trying to go to the uh, us grand prix this year we could just could not make it but i'm i'm glad you went to uh, the buddh man uh, good yeah. for you anand are you a formula 1 watcher at all or any kind of motorsport watcher No, to disappoint you more, I have no interest in car racing. <laughs> That's okay. No, not a problem. Uh, Aniket, what do you make of the Italian Grand Prix? Uh, I, th- I thought, uh, especially, obviously, the big highlight was uh, the number one and the number two, Hamilton and Verstappen crashing into each other. Yeah. So, as you mentioned, rightly mentioned, so Monza is the Italian circuit, which is home for Ferrari, and it's known for its top speed. It's basically a flat-out circuit. so you're almost you know hitting the gas uh, through and through what actually happened was that uh, this was the third sprint race of the season so instead of a qualifier we actually had the sprint race where you have a small uh, 100 km race to decide how the grid is going to start and after that uh, it was uh, i think it was max verstappen who was uh, or was it lewis hamilton who was p1 after the sprint verstappen like, Was Hamilton, Lewis right? Hamilton uh, starting five? Five. Right. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And Daniel Ricciardo was P two. Uh, actually, Valtteri Bottas was up there, but he took a grid penalty, so he went all the way back to the grid. Uh, with that being said, what actually happened was Daniel Ricciardo, who drives for McLaren now, uh, took the lead in the very first lap and actually maintained his lead throughout the track. So he did a brilliant job and gave McLaren a one and two finish. 
what is very interesting was that a series of uh, events led to the crash of Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton for the second time this year first being in the Silverstone where Max had like a 51g shunt into the wall so this time it was more like uh, Max Verstappen's car was on top of Lewis Hamilton's and there's Max Verstappen right behind Hamilton into the first chicane once again it's wheel to wheel Hamilton and Verstappen oh. and this time Verstappen and Hamilton have crashed out and they are Max has been awarded a penalty for that so he's basically moving going to move three grid places in the next race. I might disagree with that but because uh, I don't understand why that's happened but that's what I know of the incident so far. We'll uh, definitely keep an eye on that. I'm sure uh, there'll be more things to come. Abhijit, were you able to watch the Italian Grand Prix at all over the weekend or no? No, I just saw the crash though. Uh, I mean, I had to see it, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think I'll watch more of it now uh, because, you know, I find F1 again a lot more interesting. And uh, let's see how the season ends. Yeah, hoping for uh, another humdinger maybe because we haven't seen those in a while. India was a England series recently concluded. Well, concluded in quotes because... Uh, it was a five uh, test match series uh, out of which four were played and the fifth one had to be uh, postponed as of now uh, to hopefully next year is what the uh, what Saro Ganguly said because he he said he wants it to be rescheduled to uh, a fifth of a fifth match of the test series sometime next year so we'll see what happens on that front but um, what essentially the series of events what happened was uh, initially just before the fourth test Ravi Shastri the coach tested covid positive uh, but then nobody else, after uh, I think two or three tests, three more tests to every other uh, player, nobody else tested positive. So they went ahead and played uh, the fourth test at the Oval. And then after the fourth test, the, the it moved to Old Trafford in Manchester. And they were uh, scheduled to play. And I think just the day before, uh, the, the I believe the physio was another person, in, uh, the physio and also one, one more person on the coaching ta- staff tested positive. And eventually it was decided on game day that uh, it had to be uh, postponed or cancelled indefinitely. Uh, Anand, do you think a case of, uh, you know, a situation like this was inevitable and it was just, you know, in a way we were lucky to even have four tests given that it was kind of a soft bubble as they're calling it in England? Yes, um, I think uh, that's always a sitting duck. Two factors are speculated. First is that England had just opened up and uh, they were coming out of a lockdown and uh, second is uh, uh, whether it contributed to it or not uh, that's an, uh, a speculation but uh, there was a book launch uh, uh, function of Ravi Shastri's new book and uh, which was well attended I think some players were also there even Mr. Uh, even Kohli was there so uh, that may be a punching bag because big names were involved. Whether it contributed to it or not uh, is not known. But uh, I think these things will happen for next four or five years. You have to move on. Things will go this way. And by trial and error, the sports uh, tournaments or series like this will find a way. Yeah, um, I could not agree with you more because I think in a way, instead of trying to reschedule any of these, I think they should just be cancelled because it's an already tight, extremely tight uh, uh, player calendar, right? 
had the fifth test moved on uh, as it is they would have had i think two or three days before the start of the restart of the IPL which meant that the players had to move from this bubble to the other bubble in dubai i think once they decided to not uh, schedule the test uh, on as per its original date i don't think they had any winner at all this year to do it uh, i know aniket and me were briefly talking about earlier the mental toll it takes just being in quarantine just being in bubble in a bubble environment and so on so uh, abhijit i don't know if, i know you work in sports management i don't know if you've had any if you read up or if you've heard of any peop anybody talking about just we you know what type of mental toll it takes being in a bubble environment especially in any sport that is highly competitive i think people still are forgetting that the pandemic is still on you know so anybody who's playing elite sports right now they are in a kind of a, a position of privilege so when things like this happen you know uh, events get cancelled i think it's normal uh, public health should always be you know uh, given priority uh, than uh, tournament organization and uh, yeah with when it comes to mental toll definitely uh, people who are you know just staying in bubbles and you know following that protocol uh, just staying in your hotel room uh, have a very uh, few minutes every day to get out and practice or whatever it's it all takes a lot of toll on your mental health uh, so yeah i mean uh, if they are playing sports right now uh, we shouldn't expect too much from these guys uh, because again everybody is still suffering especially sports industry uh, professionals you know uh, we are still in the pandemic and the sports industry along with the tourism and travel industry we have suffered a lot uh, but yeah i mean uh, the only way to go forward is arranging these tournaments in bubbles uh, until everybody is vaccinated uh, but again i don't think things are going to go back to normal for next 2 3 years yeah yeah that that is that is for sure and uh, i think from like a players point of view i uh, there were there were some talks about maybe pushing the test by two days you know starting two days later so that would have left literally no time for them to uh, recuperate or rest at all they were still going from a bubble to a bubble from uh, england to dubai to play in the ipl but it would have been uh, really tough aniket as i did aniket i did like a 10 day no not a 10 day but a two week quarantine for my work uh, earlier this year and it was not a pleasant experience let me tell you that so you know the most common argument is oh they get paid all these rich athletes are all spoiled and they all get paid but at the end of the day they're individuals and it's it, it's it, everybody has a mental health that is going to be affected irrespective of what they get paid or not so if this test was delayed uh, what would actually happen like would it uh, impact uh, the ipl that's coming in or Well, I mean, what is the reason that it was not uh, delayed? So the gap between the fifth test and the restart of the IPL was, I think, three or four days, if I'm not wrong. So if, had they pushed it by two or three days, that would have left very, very less time for players to. Uh, some more. I think it would have resulted in maybe some of the players missing a few games as well. So that was the impact, and nobody wants to miss the IPL. So that that is the other uh, uh, background to this as well. So I have a controversial question for our panelists. Uh, when the country is playing and there's IPL going on, which one should ideally get a preference? I mean, do you swing one way or the other, or are they two individual games that should be treated equally? I don't know. I like your thoughts on this, Anand. What do you think? The generational shift also is important here because even this question of say uh, postponing or cancelling the test match. 
could not have been imagined, say, two generations ago, even a one generation ago in Indian cricket. Uh, and you should remember that uh, the um, demand for cancelling or postponing it came from the Indian side. And uh, um, that uh, also talks about the shift in the cricketing heft. One important contributed to it was that a lot of players were traveling with uh, their families. This was not the case a generation ago or a two generations ago, say in 70s or 80s. First, players were not allowed. And if they were allowed in a series or uh, two, a lot of players could not afford taking their families with them. And that has changed. That has changed with big money coming into Indian cricket, players getting paid and all advertisement money and a lot of things. The players are rich now, even after a series or playing few international games. So uh, the very fact that they can carry their families to, uh, to tours and that also contributed to this demand. So I see... Uh, a lot of, say, political economy of Indian cricket behind this demand. Second is the question that you ask now, that whether this uh, franchises should be prioritized over cricket. This is also a generational thing because uh, besides the Kerry Packer thing or, say, the Rebel Tour in late 70s, the this debate has really not surfaced in, in, uh, in international cricket, apart from some very, very, say, fastidious English cricketers uh, prioritizing their county's games. Uh, but they were exceptions. Otherwise, this debate is very, very new in world cricket because it was always uh, that your brand value, even your what you earn, your standing in world cricket, even in national cricket, was how you do in international games. It was not franchisee uh, thing. So uh, I think uh, the strands of this debate have to be seen in context of the evolving economy of world cricket and in the eyes of other players, because still some there are players who say that I will play only test cricket because they they want to leave a legacy or they in their self-esteem, that is the ultimate test of their cricketing prowess. Active life of a cricketer is 15 years by 35. He has that economic insecurity. He wants to make most by 35, 36. And that's where the IPL franchisee big money comes in. So you cannot fault them for uh, prioritizing. Uh, if Vigrat Kohli says that he does not want to play IPL, he wants to play for India. It, it, it's, it, it is understandable. But say some like uh, some fringe player in an IPL franchisee, say Rajasthan Royals, and he would not want to let go an IPL opportunity because uh, th that is what he's banking on to make some money in a very short career. I think uh, my answer was very rambling, but anyway, if I made some points. No, that makes sense. Uh, Abhijit, go ahead. Yeah, yeah so 
again uh, i think if it wasn't the pandemic uh, you know i would always prefer international cricket over domestic league uh, just because i believe international cricket is more prestigious i mean i'm sure anybody would want to win a 50 over world cup or t20 world cup or like you know let's say um, test series over an ipl uh but because right now the pandemic is on uh, i just believe i'm thinking about the payrolls because there are more people involved in ipl uh than involved in a test series so given the pandemic i would uh i would say uh yeah give priority to ipl just because there are so many people whose uh, paychecks are you know stuck uh, because of the pandemic yes but i think i think abhijit even without even without the pandemic i think as anand said there will be uh some players who just the, the reality of the situation is that uh they make they have that two month window where they make most amount of money they can play ranji trophy all they want uh they can play uh, dulip trophy all they want but they're not going to make the same amount of money as much as they would making in you know playing 10 games of the ipl uh so that is definitely a reality but like bigger players like star players like uh, kohli or somebody i think to anand's point uh would they can afford to you know miss the ipl if they need uh, but anyway aniket go ahead i think uh, this did happen uh, years prior not the last year but the west indies players i think they refused to uh, you know play yeah. for the national team but uh, instead i guess I, i vaguely remember that they decided playing the ipl instead so it's not a i, I guess it's not a new phenomenon i mean people have made this choice earlier that's my limit it's definitely point. it's definitely a post 2008 phenomenon for sure once the ipl came in and the big money came in but anyway that that's something that that's a discussion that i just kind of want to briefly have but i think let's get into like the actual playing of things so as things stand with uh, four test matches completed I, let's i think we should just consider this as a series for now as a four match test series for now uh india 1 2 england 1 1 uh the one thing that definitely stands out to me and i think i would le- i would get some perspective from anand here uh, and then everybody else can chip in just the bowling attack anand so uh, as i was thinking about this uh, as just watching the match at uh, the oval you know they talk uh, india over the years they talk about in the 60s they had the spin quartet all the four spinners that they were operational then came kapil in the 70s and the 80s he was kind of a lone warrior he had some uh, uh, support cast with Uh, let's say you know they had madan lal and they had sandhu and uh, uh, in late later years there was manoj prabhakar uh, once kapil retired with 434 wickets uh, there was jagal srinath who came in uh, you know jagal srinath had his own uh, support base he had kumble for in, in, in the initial years he had venkatesh prasad for some time he had a whole slew of uh, fast bowlers but he was the mainstay and then kumble took over Uh, zahir was there zahir harbhajan and anil kumble were there for a period i think that was probably the best indian bowling attack before what we have right now and now we have all of these pace bowlers uh, we have like just just thinking about the, just on the top of my head there is bumrah shami yadav ishan sharma uh, there is uh, uh, mohammad siraj shardul thakur right that's just the pace bowlers and on top of this we have the world's leading test spinner in ravi chandran ashwin who couldn't even get a game uh, we have ravindra jadeja who is excellent Uh, he's like consistent he is i i i really value him as a spin bowler as well as a batsman he's a great all-rounder i think so do you think this is the best bowling attack that india has ever had in test cricket and that could change but, um, in a, a series or two I, i a series or two of bad outing can make people change their opinion it just how fickle it is 
but yes you have a point it's uh, definitely uh, the best assembly of pace battery india had uh, what i look for is that uh, when the things are not going well on flat tracks do they have the uh, caliber to reverse swing and earlier india indian bowlers had the ability but not the pace a reverse swing is effective with a certain degree of pace and uh, that was lacking i think uh, the oval test was largely won by the ability for uh, of reverse swing what happens in england like see is that uh, a, this is uh, august august september and the pitches are drier comparatively to the english summer comparatively if you compare it with english summer and the run scoring is easier and the teams with the ability to reverse swing on drier pitches tend to have a edge and that that is how you in 90s you had that two w's wakar washim reverse swinging on drier pitches and um, that became controversial because then reverse swing was undiscovered and um, it was seen as some kind of witchcraft so uh, uh, then you see 2005 uh, 5 it was was it 5 perhaps 5 or 6 when the england won ss after a long gap in england that uh, flintoff uh, series yes so and uh, i think that was also very, very apart from other things a lot of things combined for a series win but one leading factor was england's ability to reverse swing and and uh, the timing was same august july august and you had a, an unsung hero in that series simon jones simon jones yeah simon jones was yes he was reverse swinging flintoff was reverse swinging and that was so i think this if you go series by series india's ability to reverse swing has uh, paid them rich dividends yeah uh, i remember uh, just just because you brought up simon jones as an iconic wicket of simon jones uh, taking uh, michael clark's off stump he just let the ball go and this ball swung in uh, from outside off stump and took his off stump but anyway that's one of the most iconic moments aniket what do you make of this test series so i broadly agree with the assessment that you know we as a country assembled uh, a good battery of pacers and uh, would were at least for this series had done a spectacular job how this will turn out uh, will be interesting to see but what i wanted to uh, briefly share my two cents about was uh, the ability of this uh, you know uh, bowling attack to also actually bat you know contribute with the bat because i i felt shardul thakur's innings even jasprit bumrah who i thought for some reason i always thought he could do nothing with a bat he has pleasantly surprised me uh, with the way he is he could not do nothing with the bat before the series i'll tell you that so again uh, this time will tell of how effective it is it is a one time thing or it's going to be a repeated occurrence and i sincerely hope it's a repeated occurrence but i thought their contribution uh, with the bat and the ball was what kind of helped uh, india go through 
I did want to get the experts here and dissect their minds on what they thought about the batting order and how the batting front of our team was doing. Because from a, a bird's eye view of what I saw, it just seemed like this series was, uh, you know, in some in a lot of ways won by this uh, bowling attack that uh, you know Kohli has assembled or the selectors have assembled, who actually pitched in a lot with the bat as well and. And I think this was the same uh, even with Gabba when we saw in Adelaide, uh, we saw the same, it was the same story where you know uh, the Rishabh Pant and you know the other batsmen who were actually bowlers helped keep strike and you know keep the wicket alive. So I wanted a thought on you know uh, what about this batting uh, order that we have uh, right now? How are they doing? And I would like to get uh, all your thoughts on that. Abhijit, go ahead. I'll let you go first. So, uh, so actually, I don't watch a lot of cricket anymore. Uh, but I did uh, watch the second uh, test and the fourth test. And again, uh, very impressive. Uh, I think Rohit Sharma played really well. Um, the batting, uh, like what we were discussing right now, right? India's batting and India's bowling attack over uh, some gen- few generations. And uh, while, like, you know, when I was a kid, I always believed Indian batting was always, like, you know, great. Was Sachin, Saurav, Dravid, beat any format. Even later when we started in T20, uh, Dhoni and, you know, Gambhir, all these guys were brilliant, Yuvraj. Uh, but bowling is something that I think uh, we've, like, really improved because I remember, like, I'm that kind of a kid who is still not over the 2003 World Cup final loss, you know. I still remember spells of Nehra 23 uh, for six, I guess, you know, against England. Uh, and uh, for me, Zahir Khan, I used to copy Zahir Khan's bowling style when I used to play cricket. So those guys were, like, you know, uh, the biggest heroes for me. Uh, right now also, I think we still have a great bowling attack. And uh, as far as it comes to uh, batting, yeah, I mean, I don't think we have any weaknesses. We can play uh, any sort of uh, uh, team uh, on, you know, any of the grounds. So, yeah. I must I must disagree with you a little bit there, Abhijit. I don't think this is a really good batting unit for India or just compared to you know, the past years. But there's that old age, uh, the, the age-old adage of saying, you know, you, you, at the end of the day, you need bowlers who take who can take 20 wickets. You need to take 20 wickets to win a game of test match, right? So, yeah. uh, bowling is in some ways more important than the batting. So, I think it's a pretty average but uh, would you say batting. That only for the test cricket or is it the same for T20? No, I'm just, no, just talking about the test cricket only. Yeah, because I think in I think T20 and ODI, you need, you know, batsmen who are like, you know, going to get you boundaries and probably oh, 100%. chase. And in 100%. test, it's more about, you know, getting the wickets to win the test. Yeah, exactly. So, you need to take 20, 20 wickets to win a test match. Um, you can score 700 for two declared or whatever it is. You still can't win a test match if you don't take 20 wickets. So, I think if you have a decent enough batting lineup that can get you by... But a really good pace attack, like the current one, uh, I think you are in a better position to win a test match, which is why we can actually see it in the results uh, in the recent past, where India are winning more test matches when compared to, let's say, the 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 era of Sachin, Dravid, and Lakshman. Anand, what do you what do you think about that? Just the batting lineup in general. Yeah, absolutely, you are correct. You are correct in saying that, and uh, the a good example of that is Pakistan. And uh, Pakistan always had a very, very good bowling attack. They won a lot of matches just uh, by the quality of their bowling. And they always had a very average batting lineup. Just one star, Javed Miyadad, sometimes Jahir Abbas, Injimaul. 
so one biggest uh, one one pillar um, to somehow rally around and and a great bowling attack so pakistan is a good example of it uh, and uh, bowling is very crucial in 20 even in test cricket it is well known i think it, that's a self evident truth in test cricket but uh, even in one day as in t20 two good bowlers two two good spells can turn lot of things even someone is talking around and going uh, all, all guns blazing from the batting side uh, i think uh, two good bowling uh, spells can turn the game Uh, so uh, if you give me i will always take a very very strong bowler first then a strong batsman so with that being said uh, i have a follow up question anand uh, how do you rate the batsmen's uh, you know series in england this time like uh, what are your general thoughts on that i think jorut jorut is the standout batsman of the series there is no doubt about that so uh, and just because the time, uh, because of the time he had to play means the ease with which he scored runs and uh, i tend to judge batsmen with the time they have to have at their disposal whether tackling pace or spin and uh, he was in no hurry and he has a kind of uh, languid elegance also that helps uh, in the aesthetic uh, appeal of his batting uh, so that, that, that is uh, from indian side uh, i think uh, kohli is going through an unsure phase uh, his footwork is not what it was said to years back and uh, rohit sharma has made lot of adjustment he has changed his game i think he, he said also that he thought that the opener slot was the only way he could uh, retain his uh, place in the test side and uh, you can see the um, mental adjustments he has made and played a very patient game uh, but uh, some of his dismissals uh, are also quite contrary to that uh, assessment because he has gone to some uh, he has been dismissed because of some instinctive strokes and uh, that is okay i think uh, that is a collateral damage you would take with you uh, rest of the batting has not been so impressive from indian side like uh, rahane or say even pujara is not the kind of test batsman he had been in last 2 3 years uh for sure uh i think with especially with rohit sharma there's a definite improvement and i think he, it's kind of unbelievable to think that this uh, he got his first test century away from home in this series you know he made his uh, debut i think in 2013 or something that was yeah i'm pretty sure that was sachin's uh, going away party i think when he had uh, when he made his debut in the eden gardens um but yeah i think rohit sharma has found a good balance i think uh, anand more than anything else as to when he when he can defend and when he can attack he's still he's definitely more patient than before uh, takes his time but he's definitely also trying to play his shots um you know for example if he as you said if they keep bowling short him is going to go for that pull or the hook 
most of the time it came off but the way he got out you know definitely especially the last uh, i think in the second innings of the oval test or immediately after he got the century uh, it is a kind of a rough not a good look let's just say that but i think he's definitely found a good balance as to when to attack and when to defend more or less he has been patient uh, he's still playing his shots uh, kl rahul i think is definitely a good good sign too he has had a couple of great innings uh, remember he's uh, he's coming in for shubman gill um who was really who was really impressive in uh, australia so uh i think that that spot has a healthy competition between rahul and prudvi shah and shubman gill i'm sure there are more waiting in the wings as well so anyway uh anike did you have any other comments about the series yeah i just uh, like to think that you know given the team we are uh, we seem formidable but uh, the team can actually be improved in so many ways so that's only positive for indian cricket uh, in my opinion is that even though the way we are playing there are there is room for improvements uh, in the batting and also middle order we're choosing all rounders and uh, the all rounders we already have at our disposal for example so it is more power to the indian cricket team we should move on to some tennis action i know abhijit has been waiting patiently in the wings to talk about some tennis i will leave it to you abhijit so i know the big the biggest story obviously is on the women's side of things so let's start there and tell us what you made of the two uh, women's finalists and then we'll take it from there sure uh, i just want to start with saying that this was one of the most entertaining open in years uh, when i heard that roger rafa serena and venus they all are out i was like okay this open is probably you know not going to be that great but i think this is what uh, which was needed you know uh, when you take away the stars you know then there's a space for other people to shine and that's what happened this uh, fortnight you know when uh, two players outside of you know uh, 70 rank they are playing the final and both are like just 18 and 19 year old uh, someone like emma she came from the qualifiers and went all the way to win the title the first qualifier ever to do so How's that for an ending? She went 10 rounds without dropping a set. She came in here ranked 150 in the world and she leaves the US Open champion. Uh I think you uh, put uh, Goran on the note, but actually Goran was a wild card when he won the 2001 Wimbledon. It wasn't wild he was card. a qualifier. So what Emma did was like historic. and wow i mean those two ladies could you also explain what it means to go through the qualifiers and get to the sure. actual tournament itself sure so uh, in tennis uh, at grand slams the the singles have uh, the draw of 128 players right so most of them they get a direct entry through their rankings on atp or wta and then there are some uh, spots that are awarded wild card and then some players they have to get in through qualifiers So someone like Emma she had to play 3 qualifiers before she got into the main draw. So in total she played 10 matches, 3 plus 7. And the most amazing thing about her journey is that she didn't lose a single set in all of her 10 matches. This has never happened. Yeah. Uh so yeah, absolutely amazing. Emma Raducanu and uh, Leila Fer- Leila Fernandez uh Emma from uh 
uh, England, Britain, I guess, uh, and then uh, Leila Fernandez from Canada. Both of them, by the way, are immigrants. Uh, Leila's uh, parents, I think Leila's dad is Ecuadorian and mom is half Filipino. Uh, Amar Arakanu's mom is, I believe, Chinese. So shout out to all the immigrants out there, Anikhet. <laughs> immigrants, yeah. we get the job done. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> tagline. And another tagline I wanted to give to the US Open was actually it was an open of surprises, right? And because it did uh, shock me at many levels. Uh, first was just seeing uh, Mr. Adekano and Leila Fernandez, two teens, actually batting it, uh, battling it out for the finals, the Grand Slam finals. I think the last this happened was uh, with uh, was it Serena and Martina Hingis? I think That's when correct. two teams when two teams actually played it, and I believe Serena won that. I think this ninety nine. I five. That's correct. I, I'm not. Yeah. So ninety nine, and it's been a long journey since ninety nine to come to twenty twenty one and have this repeat. So the first thing is. Uh, like Abhijit already mentioned, uh, you know, Emma played the qualifiers and won it. But what I found super interesting was uh, I was just doing some uh, research and uh, found out that uh, she seems to have the most control in all the women's games. So she had dominated her game in terms of sheer control. And I'm just pulling out some data here because her first serve consistency was like 72%. Uh, in the uh, US Open, whereas uh, it was 62% as an average. And her second serve speed was, I think, 10 miles per hour uh, above the average. And uh, one thing that was very common in her game throughout was she kept her opponents moving. You know, So she, uh, in very nice ways, dominated the game, uh, for lack of a better word. I mean, dominate is the word I'm using. But uh, yeah, she dominated the game by keeping, uh, by controlling the opponent's movements. And once I read this, I was very surprised when I saw that she didn't lose a single set. But when I read this uh, and you tie it back, it just seems to make sense that, you know, okay, she played such a fantastic uh, final. I mean, those are my two cents on this. Go ahead, Abhijit. Yep. Yeah, so I think the most impressive part of Emma's journey is like, for example, a lot of people are talking about their age. But, you know, in tennis, it has happened. Like a lot of teenagers have made news before. Someone like Monica Seles, she won eight Grand Slams as a teenager. I mean, that's... Just unbelievable. But yeah. the special thing about Emma is, uh, you know, this is only the fourth pro tournament. Like she was, became a star at Wimbledon and now, you know, she won the title. But uh, before that, uh, her biggest title was in Pune. Uh, in 2019, December, she came here and she won the 25 ITF 25K. And uh, from there to see her win the Grand Slam, you know, Grand Slam title, uh, that's pretty amazing. And as you said, you know, her game, I think uh, what I found the most impressive was how good she was on both wings, her forehand and backhand. Uh, and the both girls were fearless. I mean, they just went for the shots uh, and that was amazing to see. Yeah, the one thing that uh, stands out to me with Emma also is she has an all-around game. She has a power game. She can serve really well too. But she's really good at the net, which is which to me is a testament to uh, you know, coaching, good coaching, whoever her coach is. Uh, because as many a time I could see her, you know, maneuver her way through com- coming close to the net, you know, doing some... Uh, I don't think she was serving walling as such, but it was definitely coming closer to the net whenever she can to kind of keep uh, her opponent on the toes. What do you think? I mean, it's not been a good year for Naomi Osaka. She, you know, she pulled out of the French Open, citing mental health issues. She completely withdrew from Wimbledon. Uh, I think she was... Uh, all in for the Olympics. It was her home Olympics. She was representing Japan. Uh, upset, upset defeat. 
and then now again another another upset defeat in the US Open do you think it is do you attribute it to a lot uh, to a lack of uh, game practice or is it something going on in her head you think i know she openly came out and said uh she's going through some mental issues before and now she said she needs she'll probably take a break for a few uh maybe for a few months or so or we don't know what it is but uh what do you think I is think happening i think anybody who's followed osaka you know they've seen her journey like if you see her interviews or if you've read stories about her you know she's an introvert when someone like federer or djokovic comes and talks to the media and you know uh, they do really well with uh, brands and you know appearances and everything that's because they are very naturally you know um, let's say extroverts someone like naomi osaka who's an introvert and who had such great success you know being world number 1 and winning four grand slam titles i think there was a lot of pressure on her uh, because she's like multiracial and you know uh, like a lot of brands want her to uh, endorse their products i think she was getting this constant media attention which probably put her in this position and uh, right now uh, in her press conference she said she's not enjoying tennis anymore and that's really sad because you know it reminds me of andrea gassi uh, what he went through uh, but what i believe is since uh, osaka has done so much uh, you know in her life she doesn't have to pick up a racket ever again you know she's at that level right now so uh, the best thing would be you know just to take a break uh, you know assist things uh, seek help uh, because she's in a a position of privilege also where you know she can seek help and you know she can get better but uh, if she continues to play like this no, it's not going to help because uh, it, clearly the results are not there yeah i think uh, and anikhil i let you i let you I, I kind of a follow up to that is um there is a bit bit of a two sides to the story kind of thing i, I totally agree that she's you know she she's probably the pressure is getting to her and she's already an introvert and the weight of expectations the glare of the cameras and whatever uh, at the same time we also see her i think she's comfortable in her own space in the sense that you know there was a netflix uh, series based uh, on naomi osaka i think serena williams produced it um, you know she has done certain uh, brand endorsements and stuff like that she was at the met gala yesterday uh, in new york city so it's not it's not like she she doesn't like the limelight i think she likes the limelight in a certain space if you know what i mean so i think there's a little bit of nuance to it it's not as if she does not like the media glare i think she kind of does but at the same time she's also gets affected by that mentally I'm, i i might be speculating for all i know but i'm just going by what i see uh in various press releases aniket yeah so i have nothing to add to the naomi osaka part but i did want to take this uh, to talk about leila fernandez cuz uh, she had a good tournament as well and seems very promising we spoke about emma i just thought we could take about another uh, 15 seconds to talk about you know the kind of people she beat to get to the final she beat osaka she beat uh, i think sabalenka and uh, who else uh, karbar uh, she beat halep and sweetilo uh, yeah Kerber, yeah. Also, so yeah. she's she's uh I mean uh, I think slayed some of the big weights uh while to get to the final. So I just wanted Abhijit and Anand both your thoughts on what did you think about uh, her and her game in general. I think she had a of course I mean uh, if you see the draw she had a tougher draw now compared to Emma. Uh but wow the, the first time she beat Osaka everybody was like okay there's something special here and then she backed up you know with wins over Kerber and all these players, uh, and yeah, again she has also uh, very uh, you know all round dead game, and she was also again fearless. She was going for shots, 
and uh, i think the most impressive part about her was uh, i don't know if you guys saw the her runner runner up speech when she spoke about you know 911 and she said about how she wishes that you know she remains as resilient as you know new yorkers on this day it was especially hard for new york and everyone around the the united states i just want to say that i hope i can be as strong and as resilient as new york has been the past 20 years i mean to give that kind of speech at the age of 19 in front of you know uh, millions of people watching i think uh, that was very uh, mature uh, and uh, yeah that was the most impressive part about uh, both women for me like their uh, fearlessness and maturity yeah for sure uh switch uh, slightly switching gears here to uh, the men side of things uh, i thought okay uh, here's the thing i thought uh, djokovic would get Uh, a gold gold slam or what is what is it called olympic slam what is that golden called slam. the golden, golden slam there you go well, yeah. there you go the mm-hmm. golden slam i for sure thought it would win the golden slam based on how he was going up until the french open uh, he uh, got upset uh, in the olympics didn't win a medal uh, now i thought okay us open you know he'll get the thing he'll get things done yeah you know he see he lost a set here and there kept kept losing uh, the first set every time uh, but for the most part i thought he had it covered because he has a game as you said abhijit he has a game for to play to last five sets typically because i even if he's two sets down and a breakdown in the third set i still don't you know i still don't believe it until i see him actually lose so i thought uh, he had it covered so anand what do you think i for sure thought he would get his 21st grand slam i thought he would win the calendar slam rod lever was in the attendance the last man to do it i i thought you know this was the opportunity but sometimes you know sport does not uh, you know do what you want it to do so anand what did you watch the men's final what do you make of it i think uh, i would take it back to the olympics the bronze match and i yeah. think he had he had zoned out uh, means uh, once yeah. he once he uh, was uh, in a situation when he could not uh, aim for the gold and he, he was playing for the bronze he had joined out you can't you could see that and uh, then the best he could do was uh, the season slam and he, and it meant a lot for uh, for him because kind of emotional outburst he saw uh, we saw um, after he lost the final uh, so um, i think it's a, a very rare occasion for any tennis player even if you are as great as djokovic to have a chance of um, uh, sealing a slam so um, uh, for the connoisseurs of tennis history who, who want to keep uh, a record or tap that was a let down but then you had another man medvedev uh, who who, who uh, was uh, also knocking at the door uh, i think abhijit may remember better that he has uh, been in the final two slam finals before so uh, as much as we uh, regret the lost historic chance we we have to also compliment him for what he did for sure uh, abhijit where do you think method has succeeded uh, like in his game plan well i think he is one of the most intelligent people ever to pick up a racket uh, he plays tennis like chess you know uh, his game is not that uh, pleasing to watch 
uh, he's like an unorthodox tennis player uh, but uh, yeah i think uh, he just outplayed uh, jokovic in the sense that there was jokovic was always catching up you know uh, usually what happens is when there's a five set match jokovic always has an idea that you know um, he has a chance to come back and that's what he did right before this final there were four other matches where he lost the first set and then he came back uh so but yeah uh, medvedev was on him from the very beginning and uh, you know i'm one of my among my friends i was the one uh, who picked medvedev over djokovic and everybody was laughing at me and i was like why this guy's world number 2 okay uh, you know he's in his third grand slam final uh, he won atp finals last year by beating world number 1 world number 2 and world number 3 you know that has never happened in tennis history uh, and he's a hard court specialist i mean his game is you know perfectly suited for the surface so if there was anybody who was going to stop djokovic it was medvedev and he just did a brilliant job you know he kept his serve uh, didn't get broken until the third set late in the uh, third set and uh, yeah djokovic was also i think didn't play his best he was like a bit uh, you know uh, worn out i think uh, but again all credit to medvedev what a win uh you know often you know the greatest of all time conversations are very subjective it comes down to each individuals uh preferences and what style of play they'd like to watch uh i prefer federer just because of his aesthetic game and what not but i think if i have to be if i have to be a neutral i would say you know djokovic was probably better than these two guys and R- nadal was probably better than federer just head to head um uh, even though i like federer so i think djokovic will probably in my mind will go down as the better player uh, anand what do you think of this big picture conversation I agree with you. I agree with you. I think uh, Novak uh, um, oh, is for me the uh, the greater. Uh, if and though that though that is very very subjective, but uh, of course uh, in terms of numbers, he is more likely to uh, outclass them. Let's see a number of wins. I may be proved wrong in a year or two. That's another thing. but uh, the preponderance of probabilities what they say is that he would and uh, i think uh, for abhijit would uh, win away uh, on it uh, more i think you have to look for if you are uh, looking for the greatest player i think you have to look for all round players and say all all round who was the better all round player and uh, aesthetically or a power game or a, say a clay court game uh, that that is on one side one is uh, the all round game and i think on all round game i would rate novak uh, higher abhijit yeah i mean this is such a sensitive topic in the world of tennis you know three uh, uh, greatest players are playing at the same time i think that's quite extraordinary and for someone like me uh, for me federer will always remain my favorite player but i think yeah it is fair to say that djokovic is probably the greatest player ever uh, just because you know he has uh, the most grand slam tied with federer and nadal of course that might change but he has also the most weeks at world number 1 uh, most masters uh, he's uh, he has a better head to head record against both federer and nadal and he's the only player to beat federer thrice at wimbledon and nadal twice at roland garros you know their favorite slams basically see that's the clincher uh, for me yeah yeah i mean i think uh, uh, you can't uh, you know uh, argue much anymore uh, but again i feel like you know uh, it can be subjective uh, this uh, debate a bit because uh, 
uh, when we look at basketball, right? Uh, Michael Jordan, he had six NBA championship rings. Uh, there are some players who have more championship rings, but we always call Jordan the greatest. When it comes to boxing, uh, you know, there, there are players like Floyd Mayweather, you know, who are like 50-0 in their win-loss uh, record. Or there are other boxers also who've gone unbeaten throughout their career. But we always pick Muhammad Ali just because of, you know, his uh, influence and his impact. And in that sense, I think Federer has always had the most impact. I mean, if you just go to the ATP and WTA2 right now, and if you ask them, who's your idol, you know, who was your favorite idol growing up, they all will, most of them will say Federer. Or if you ask the former players, who's their favorite player to watch tennis, and they will, you know, say Federer. I mean, uh, what Federer did, and then, of course, followed by Nadal and Djokovic is quite amazing. In that sense, I think, uh, yeah, Federer is like the greatest in terms of impact and influence. Uh, but when it's just, when it comes to stats, you have to give it to Djokovic. I mean, there's not much uh, to argue anymore. Federer, I think, has that natural grace on the court and off the court that comes naturally. I think which is unfair on the other two players there, Aniket. Yeah. What do you think? 100%. So, I think uh, this panel is overwhelming with Federer fans. Uh, I'd put my hand up and say I'm one of them. Uh, his single hand backhand. Uh, I, I don't know. When I see that, it's pure class. It's elegance. It's everything. I, I do. I, oh, down I, the line. Yeah, I can't get words for that. Oh. But, you know, uh, my heart would always support Federer. But if I had to logically think and put money on each one of these three beating the other two, I would, you know, always put it on Novak Djokovic because he's, you know, been there, done that. And uh, I just want to remind the listeners that, you know, the start of the previous decade, 2010, I think Djokovic had one grand slam to his name. That's correct. So he's been on, uh, you know, boosters and I don't know what, but he's collected these 19 other slams in a decade, which uh, can only, I mean, you know, I don't have to say anything more. Just uh, saying that statistics just, uh, you know, tells you about the enormity of his uh, game and how, how he's been playing. So, yeah, I mean, Federer uh, for watching, uh, Djokovic for uh, everything else. Yeah, Nadal on clay. But it's, hard. It's, a t- it's a tough choice, but, you know, I think we've all come down to the right conclusion. I'm sad that there was no... Uh, uh, oversensitive comments from anybody, so we'll see. Uh, I, I think I just, that should I mean, just do one, it like, for us. Yeah, go ahead, Abhijit. Uh, there was time when uh, Federer was considered as the GOAT from pretty much from 2009 when he broke Sampras record till 2021, and now Djokovic is being considered as the greatest. Nadal never got his you know time as the GOAT con- uh, uh, contender in the middle of all this, but what if he? ends up winning the most Grand Slams, you know, because all three of them are still active. We don't know what's going to happen. So, yeah, I can't wait for 2022. We'll see who goes to number 21. Or what if all three remain on 20? You never know. I want to add to that. If Nadal wins uh, another one, I'm not surprised. So, yeah. yeah. He'll always be favourite at Roland Garros. You know, for what? For all we know, he might play four more years and play four more French Opens and win, you know, end up with 24. Who knows? So, <laughs> you never know how these things end. But I think, as 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 Anand said, preponderance of uh, probability, uh, Novak, I think, uh, has the edge. Uh, but I think having said that, I think we should. That's a good, pl- that's a good stopping point. Um, I think we should uh, round this off with some recommendations, sports recommendations. But I think before that, I think this this podcast, this episode in 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 particular, has been like a testimony to what News Laundry does. It's it's an extremely democratic platform. Uh, I as I said, I literally met Aniket in person last weekend uh, for the first time. But we actually have known each other for about eighteen months or nineteen months now. So. 
all it took was a whatsapp group and sending a text out to say hey is anybody interested and that's how we met so uh, and then abhijit is the same thing uh, anand is the same thing everybody is so open to uh, having conversations and uh, speaking openly and sharing their views so uh big thanks to anand and abhijit for uh, joining us uh please do subscribe to news laundry uh, go to the website click on the subscribe button we need they need uh subscribers uh, you know general public support and uh, more than any anything else right now especially given what happened uh, last week with the raids and all of that you know uh it it's it was inevitable that it was going to happen so please do pay to keep uh, news free and please click on the subscribe button Uh, please do write to us at contact and newslaundry dot com if you have any other comments. That's how Abhijit wrote to us. Uh, please write to us if you have any comments, concerns, feedback. We'll all take it in good spirits, as long as they're in good spirits. I guess we'll see. Uh, uh, having said that, Anand, I'll let you go first. Do you have any recommendations? The book I am recommending is uh, a cricket book, a very well-known one. Nothing surprising about that. Uh, it's a seal. Uh, James book beyond the boundary i think uh, it's a uh, though cricket is not a globalist sport in true sense but uh, it's still considered one of the best pieces of writing on a sport uh, beyond the boundary it uh, uh, covers the aesthetics of uh, the the sport the a man's love for it its nuances as well as placing it in the sociological and historical context of the place where from where he is coming and it was it's a scholarly take as well as a very um, aesthetic take on the game so that that's my recommendation beyond the boundary seal games thank you thank you for that feedback to anand abhijit oh, first of all again thank you so much guys for having me it was like great pleasure and uh, i would like to recommend uh, two books actually uh, the first one is uh, go india sporting transformation uh, it it was edited by my ex boss nandan kamath and my friend aparna ravichandran uh, but it, it it has essays by uh, people like rahul dravid abhinav bindra pulela gopichand and uh, it actually gives the entire history of uh, indian sports uh, and it also includes olympic sports and paralympic sports and um, also you have writings from uh, you know people like rohit vijnath and sharda ugra and so yeah a great great book uh, in uh, my opinion so yeah please pick this book and another book i have to recommend is open uh, the autobiography oh, of yeah. andrea gassi it's it's just not one of the best sports autobiography it's just one of the best autobiographies i've ever read i mean uh, this is a, like a very essential read for all the sports fans out there so please pick up this book and uh, i just have one more uh, recommendation there's one article i that's the article i wrote it's uh, actually about uh, J- novak djokovic and his favorite book the power of now and you know when you see djokovic he seems like of course a bit angry on the court but he also has this zen like moments where you know he's totally focused and uh, how he get, he's like that i mean i will try to explain that in that article so yeah i will send you that link uh, and yeah uh, that's it awesome all of these will be in the show notes as yeah i couldn't agree more with the open book from andre agassi uh, aniket sorry go ahead so i'll first like to thank anand and abhijit to be here because it's such an awesome experience i've had and uh, uh seeing where we like got uh, like gotham said 18 months ago we just texted on whatsapp saying how about we chatted about sports and here we are so it's been such a great experience to learn from both of you 
Uh, my recommendations are actually uh, picking off uh, something Anand briefly mentioned about Rohit Sharma's uh, game, how he's changed it. So there's an on ESPN Cricket Info an article written by Akash Chopra, where he talks about how he's you know made uh, amendments to his game to play as an opener and uh, you know leaving the ball that always catches his edge. So leading edge, that is one. Um, the other one was briefly mentioned by Abhijit. Uh, you know, in passing was about Paralympic sports and athletics in general. So I wanted to understand, uh, you know, how this works. So there are a lot of classes and categories of these sports being played. So there's a small explainer on YouTube. Uh, I'm, we're going to attach the link below. It's basically Paralympics for Olympics explained. So it's, I think it's a four to five minute video, but it definitely teaches us a little bit more about, you know, this world of sport and how it is categorized and how it's played. So I found that uh, extremely interesting. And the last article is a New York Times article. Uh, and it basically talks about how Afghanistan women's soccer team has, uh, you know, uh, moving around the world and how they've gone to Italy now and they hope to play soccer. And also it talks uh, about the state of the country, sports in general. This, this covers from a sporting point of view of how women, uh, you know, footballers are not allowed to pursue whatever they're passionate about. So it's... Uh, it's an interesting yet uh, moving read, I would say. So these are my recommendations. And I'll sign off from my end by saying, guys, pay to keep news free and support independent media because uh, we're just trying to do as best as we can and support us and join us in our endeavor. Gautam, off, back to you. Uh, I would like to recommend uh, a couple of, well, one article. Uh, in, it was in the Indian Express. Uh, Anand briefly touched upon Jaspreet Bumrah's action. So uh, there is an explainer fra- by Lakshmi Pati Balaji, the f- former international player. Uh, the headline is How Backspin Makes Jaspreet Bumrah's Reverse Swinging Deliveries Almost Unplayable. So he talks about how, uh, you know, given his action and he imparts a little bit of backspin to the ball, which apparently makes it aerodynamically favorable to uh, for the ball to reverse. Uh, the other one is kind of going on the same boat, uh, Jared Kimber. I know I've recommended a lot of his, uh, his stuff. Jared Kimber, he's a really good cricket writer and a video blogger now. Um, he has a, a Boomra uh, video that's called The Game of Boomra. He kind of breaks down the, especially that slower ball that we discussed last episode where we broke down how he balled that slower ball around the wicket to Ollie Robinson and so on. And how he, he talks about how Jaspreet Bumra has a release point which is a few centimeters ahead than anybody else, uh, than any other baller, which makes the ball that much faster when reaching the batsman. So I recommend those two, uh, those two a video and an article there. Uh, this was a really fun, uh, enjoyable episode. Uh, Aniket, I know um, you and me share uh, the same insights. We're looking forward to this. We've planned for this. So thanks again to Anand and Abhijit. And uh, uh, until we see each other, hopefully, uh, maybe we'll we'll have some more uh, conversations moving forward to Anand and Abhijit. And we'll have you for some cricket-dedicated and some tennis-dedicated uh, podcasts as well. So thanks again for joining. And until we speak with you listeners or talk with you listeners next time, uh, have a good uh, sports watching uh, next few weeks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. Catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport. Visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And subscribe to our YouTube channel.